The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 16 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, as we mentioned in our latest side quests, we have a Patreon now, and we have our first patron. So, shout out to uh, Luke Langstrat. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. So, yeah, th- uh, thank you, Luke. You, you've actually managed, or you, you have allowed me to... Uh, take off uh, a thing of my bucket list that is getting paid to talk silly stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Same here. Um, So the weather here in Denmark has turned nice and warm, and since I have to be outside a lot for work, I'm happy. Uh, But what are you up to, Peter? Uh, Well, I try to be outside as much as I can when the weather allows it, because it's April, and uh, the weather hasn't decided on which season it wants to be so we've had snow we've had rain uh, and basically everything in between right now it's kind of sunny so yeah i'm gonna see if if i manage to sneak outside after this and and see if i can get some fresh air (laughs) yeah um Today's book is Fountains of Bright Crimson, written by Ree Sosby, with additional material by Richard E. Dansky, Jen Clodius, and Todd Satogata, developed by Richard E. Dansky. It's a companion to Jerusalem by Night and the second standalone scenario we have covered after Clash of Wills. And since it's a scenario, there's obviously something we have to say. Yeah, it's it's obviously going to be a lot of spoilers. So so if you're interested in in playing this uh, as a player, then you should probably wait until uh, after you you played it to to listen to our review. Or yeah, it. perfect. Uh, as always, we uh, we start with the cover. And Peter, what are your thoughts on the cover? Well, if if this would have been a book for for Warhammer uh, about Chaos Marauders or Chaos Warriors, <laughs> then, then it would be a really good cover, actually, um, because the, the hooded and, and cloaked warriors with, well, they, they don't actually have spiky armor, which which is a point, uh, <coughs> but they, they do have um, an emblem on their very large shields uh, that reminds me very much of uh, the, the later generation Chaos Warriors or Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, and it's it's a cross with uh, two crossed swords over it, so you basically get the eight-pointed chaos star. Yeah. Uh, but except for that, it's it's kind of cool. It's uh, what's supposed to be Jerusalem in the background. Uh, it it's kind of looks like it's burning, but it's probably not. It's it's just very red. So but it, so it invokes the whole um, crimson of the title and uh, and and uh, the uh, the burning or, or the uh, looting of Jerusalem uh, during the First Crusade, and and then we have uh, these five mounted uh, knights storming at uh, at the the viewer, uh, joined by a, a throuplet of uh, war dogs. So they have obviously let slip the hounds of war. 
They have indeed. Yeah, I I agree that it is very evocative. It 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 really sets the stage. I mean, you you uh, you get an idea that that something is going on here. Uh, so it, it's also, you know, a very nice composition. Uh, I'm a bit annoyed that, that one of them has a curved sword because as I've <laughs> mentioned a number of times, uh, people in the Middle East didn't really have curved swords at this point. But, you know, um, it's it's all in all uh, a, a decent uh, cover. There isn't much internal art, really. There are some character portraits that are serviceable, but not mm. much more. We have two maps that are nice to have and a few mood pictures that do a good job. Do you have anything to add about the internal art? No, I, I liked it. Like you mentioned there, it isn't really that much, uh, that many pictures in it, but the ones that we have are, are really interesting. Um, and and what I liked about uh, the map of Jerusalem is is that it's, it's not actually a, a very detailed roadmap so to say so to speak but it's it's more like an, an outlay of um, you have the city wall uh, surrounding uh, the, the city and then you have a few gates and uh, like the, the places of interest uh, marked out on the map so you have the uh, the Christian quarter and and uh, the Al-Aqsa mosque and and a few places like that uh, which is is really fine because you probably hopefully don't need a detailed roadmap of of the streets of Jerusalem if you're playing here but it's it's more like yeah okay this is here in uh, relation with this place so you can like okay if we go east do we do we go to this place or that place so it, it's really useful and and of course if you're actually setting your campaign in Jerusalem you can always fill it up with the stuff that you include in your game yeah, exactly. It's it's nice to just have the, uh, as you said, the the general layout without having to worry too much about roads and everything because it allows you to really um, uh, tailor it to to your to your needs in the game. Um, so we start with an introduction that gives some background to the scenario, character creation suggestions, and a synopsis of the story. Um, Already, we're ahead when it comes to Clash of Wills, since this scenario specifically says that it can be played by already existing characters or newly created ones, but in mm. the case of newly created ones, they should be given 15 extra Phoebes to ensure they're up to the challenges of the scenario. This is nice because it lets the storyteller gauge the level of difficulty if they want to use the book for already established characters, which is something they didn't do for Clash of Wills. Yeah, exactly, and and it gives, uh, like you said, if if you play with with your old characters, then then a, a storyteller will know if they need to uh, up the threats or, or throw more mooks at them or, or whatever. Uh, and and also, if what I like, if if you're playing with completely new new characters, is that you get the additional freebie points. It's not really that much. It it's a couple of of dots of disciplines or. Uh, some abilities and, and backgrounds, uh, perhaps, but it's it's not you're not making your characters too strong, but you have uh, some something extra to play with to to make them more interesting and, and to flesh them out a bit. Yeah, exactly, and and giving them those extra freebie points and making them a bit more powerful, or saying that you know established characters will have to have some experience on their belt. It does allow mm -hmm. for more variety in the scenario because you can you can give greater challenges knowing that the characters are going to be up for it. Uh, mm. Now, the book says that the characters can either be uh, someone that are actually in Jerusalem or they can come from 
outside, either on their own accord or having been summoned some way. I personally think that the way this is set up, it would probably be more interesting if the characters were locals, but I don't think the scenario loses anything from the characters being outsiders. So you can uh, drop it into an existing chronicle as long as you can find a sensible uh, way to get the characters to Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to say I'm on the opposite of that. I feel that it, it could be a very interesting way to introduce Jerusalem. It, it's t totally fine to uh, to use it up, uh, as part of an ongoing chronicle, but I feel that this this is a very good uh, scenario to to kind of display the uh, the religious and and the, uh, the kind of mental powers that that Jerusalem have over both mortals and canines alike, with with the kind of impact it has on. Uh, on, on characters and and politics and basically everything, uh, but but yeah, it works totally fine. Um, and and of course, if you want to do that, you can always have this kind of uh, prequel with how the characters come together to yeah, Jerusalem. Or exactly. Um, the story synopsis is nicely written. It's always good to get a quick overview of what is happening as a storyteller, so you know this before reading the book. The setup is that Malkav, yes, the antediluvian Malkav, lies in torpor under Jerusalem, which I have to say does not seem like a bad place for an antediluvian to be, uh, mm. considering the age and historical importance of Jerusalem. During the Christian siege and taking of Jerusalem in 1099, um, uh, the massive bloodshed semi-awoke Malkav whose madness infected the Canaanites of Jerusalem, leading them to go mad and rampage through the city in what is later called the Weeks of Blood. Uh, and this is talked about in the um, Jerusalem by Night book. Uh, during this event, five Canaanites found their way into Malkav's resting chamber beneath the city and diaporized his caretaker, which had some unfortunate side effects. Now, almost 100 years later, the characters then get involved in the fallout of, of uh, these events. So, yeah, uh, pretty pretty simple uh, synopsis there, so you have an un understanding of what's going on. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a cool and simple uh, basic story that you could expand on if you if you want to throw in other stuff as well but it's it's a very nicely contained uh, scenario yeah so act one starts with the characters getting involved in the scenario and i have to say i don't like the way this is set up the characters are contacted by a malkavian named brother bernardus who tells them uh, that there are infernalists in jerusalem and he wants them to take care of it if the characters hesitate or ask for rewards he uses auspex to learn what they want and offer just that even though he's completely unable to pay and the book makes it quite clear that it is obvious that he cannot pay but he expects but the book expects the characters to go along because they'll find it intriguing like why is he why is he suddenly offering them everything they want now already we we have a problem since it'll be quite easy to have characters who would not go along with a madman who offers them everything they want if the characters are created specifically for the story, you can certainly make sure that all or most of them would be willing to go take care of infernalists due to their religion or road or something. But it becomes a bit more tricky when you have already established characters involved. But that's not the worst of it. It turns out that it's all a ploy. The infernalists are in fact Tremere, and the ritual that the characters are sent to interrupt is the diaporization of a salubri. 
Brother Bernardus is doing this to get the characters into hot water with the Tremere so that they will do his actual bidding in exchange for him smoothing it out with Jerusalem's Tremere's. There's just a ton of problems with this setup, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's very railroady, but in in a way, I I, I kind of like the basic idea that that they're being tricked into the the part with the Tremere's, like them them having to go on with everything else, uh, because it shows the backstabbiness of the Canite society. But but yeah, I I agree that the biggest obstacle is actually getting that far like you say that well if it's it's obvious that that this uh, uh, the quest giver uh, brother bernardus he he can't offer them anything and and he's basically full of shit and and you kind of have to suspend your disbelief and say like yeah okay well this is the scenario so sure we'll go along with it or or whatever um but but the actual idea of of uh, uh, setting the, the players upon some unwitting uh, Tremere assholes, uh, I, I kind of like, but it's it's the execution of, yeah, of exactly. the thing that is the problem. Because me. also there's there's never any explanation as to how Brother Bernardus can smooth it out with the, the Tremere. It's, it's not presented as him being a real power broker in Jerusalem, yeah, because you know, if he was, he would... Actually. Yeah, exactly. If he was, he would be able to <coughs> offer the characters... Uh, a, a greater reward anyway so you have the characters being in trouble with the Tremere and the person who tells them well I can make it better if you just do what I say is someone that they have already been uh, made aware of does not really have much or if anything to give them so why should they trust that he can make it better with the Tremere when it was quite clear that they couldn't trust him to give them whatever reward they want so either they need to change Brother Bernardus and then keep this idea that I, I agree with what you said, it's kind of cool to show the backstabby nature, or they need to um, to find another way. And I mean, it, it also depends on the players because I know, uh, I know the people that I play with and I know several of my players would instantly um, make Brother... Uh, make uh, you know, taking revenge on Brother Bernardus, their number one priority, and then themselves finding a way to um, to make it good with the the Tremere. So, yeah, and and if it, there are people coming from the outside, what's to prevent them from just going? All right, we're in big trouble with Jerusalem's Tremeres. Let's just head back to where we came from. Yeah, it, yeah, it, exactly. So. I mean, my, uh, uh, I, I remember my wife saying something about running um, Transylvania Chronicles. She was rather annoyed that in some scenarios she needed to do more work rewriting the scenario to make it work than she would have had to make if she just made her own scenario. And yeah. I feel this scenario gives you a lot of, of additional work unless, you know, you, you ensure that a very specific set of characters are made for this. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's that's probably the best solution to to include uh, a few characters, player characters that that kind of want to like like either if you have uh, some kind of mysticist who who is really into this whole uh, finding dark secrets in in catacombs, or um, I would probably encourage at least one of the players to play a Malkavian uh, for for obvious reasons, but also to to kind of get a connection to 
uh, to Brother Bernardus and, and of course to the whole Malkavian plot. Uh, and, and of course, like you kind of mentioned, that let let one of the players be um, someone who really dislikes Infernalists and, and who wants to hunt them. Um, perhaps even a, a, a Salubri himself. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, there there are ways to make this work, but it's it's kind of it's a very contrived set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, but but hey, at least they're not starting out in in a tavern. <laughs> that's that's they, they start a good choice. In a, a burned husk of a relatively sumptuous house, uh, but and and it just started me thinking that because we talked about taverns and and the fact that. That's they, it is a logical place for adventures to start because that's where people hung out. But then we talked about the other place where people hung out, and and that that's the bathhouses. Yeah. So can can't we can't we start a thing where people where where you're all gathered in a bathhouse instead of a tavern to, to kick off adventures? Well, it's it's kind of funny that you should mention it because I'm currently writing um, uh, a chronicle for um, for the Storytellers Vault called Against the Bali, where the characters receive their uh, sort of uh, mission from the prince of the city in an old Roman bathhouse. So uh... ah, excellent, <laughs> we're we're halfway there already. Yes, and we just need the rest of the world to catch up. Exactly, and there's also a, a monastery with vampires in it. But anyway, um... of course, yeah. But, but yeah, that's that's the introduction of uh, of this. Um... You all meet in a bathhouse. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but after that, so so we have a. Um... Uh, these these infernalists that uh, Brother Bernardus uh, let the players attack turn out to be Tremere and they drop out to the other as the Slubri. And so, so the players get a choice of, of uh, basically not not doing anything about it or, or killing the Tremere and that's kind of the implied way to do it. Um, and and then the, the trap is can yeah. set that that now now they have to go back to to Bernardus. Yeah. Um, I I do like the inclusion of the the Salubri character that that can be kind of like, um, un- unfortunately it's a female character so it's a bit of the old damsel in distress trope but uh, but the fact that she can actually be a very useful um, not companion but but at least ally or or contact uh, is uh, is interesting and I I also like the fact that. That you still have a few salubri around, so you do kind of get the the clash between the Tremere and um, and the salubri. Yeah, exactly. She she can figure in quite uh, quite nicely later on, where where knowledge that she has becomes useful. So Act mm. Two has the characters do Brother Bernardus bidding uh, track down a rogue vampire that has been causing all sorts of trouble in Jerusalem and bring him to Bernardus quote-unquote alive um mm. he's he's a vampire so he's not alive but bring him in without you know final death um yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, this vampire is known as five because that's the only word he responds to and he apparently appears at random intervals and rants and raves the characters are sent to meet a nosferatu named ranulf who apparently knows a lot about this rogue, rogue vampire so ranulf takes the characters to a place where five has appeared a number of times before uh, and near dawn, the mad vampire appears dressed in a cloak with a crusader knight emblem on it, and he starts raving. And then a fanatic Muslim Asamite who remembers the actions of the crusaders in 1099 appears, and he kills five, which causes a number of effects because five is connected to Malkav. He's one of the five knights that, um, five, five vampire knights that went into Malkav's resting place. Um, 
Then the the characters then return to Brother Bernardus, who gives them the story of um, the five vampire crusaders who fled beneath the city in madness during the weeks of blood, uh, and and says that they might have found Malkav's lair. Um, he asks the characters to find the remaining four crusaders so that Malkav's resting place is safe, and he offers them the reward of diablerizing him, Bernardus, that is, not Malkav, if they yeah. succeed. Uh, once again, I feel like there's a lot of problems with this act. The general gist of it, you know, moving the story along is okay, but yeah, it's not well written in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's the 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 Asamite assassin uh, Rashid. Uh, he's I, I kind of got the the whole uh, my family was killed by orcs vibes from him because yeah. he's described as a as a young farmer uh, and Jerusalem native. Uh, and his family was killed uh, during the the week of, weeks of blood, uh, and and since then he's sworn revenge on on basically everything Westerners, um, on on all Westerners and and Christians as well. I think so. So it's it's kind of like yeah, my my family was killed by Franks, and now I must seek vengeance. Yeah. Um, so it's I I don't know. It, you could probably do something interesting with him, but but. As it is, he's just there as as kind of a mini boss and, and not really that interesting. Yeah, and there's uh, also and, sorry. Yeah, Go no, ahead. no. I'm just saying that if if you want to to do the whole uh, someone who wants to take vengeance on uh, on the Crusaders, that that is an interesting idea. But it's kind of stereotypical to do it with uh, with an Asamite. It, it I, I think it would be more interesting if. If you did it with with some other clan, yeah, uh, exactly, and and just because I, I think personally I think that would be more impactful. That okay, this is a, a Toriador or or something, but they're they're hell bent on revenge because, uh, yeah, their their whole family and and city and and friends and everything was uh, were were killed by the the Crusaders. So, um, yeah. so yeah, that's. It, Again, it's kind of railroaded, but but the ideas, the idea that's there is good, but the execution isn't really that. Well. Yeah, and also, I mean, it, the the story states that five is just killed by Rashid, but we mm. learn that uh, five is of Clan Ventrue, and he was a crusading uh, vampire uh, before going mad. So one would assume that he has at least some fortitude. Um, mm. So so it's kind of weird that it says that he's just killed in one round by Rashid. Uh, must involve some fairly lucky rolls, and also, it, it says that that Rashid, um, he 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 doesn't want to fight the character, so he just flees using Obfuscate Four. Except that in his write-up, he only has Obfuscate yeah. Two. Um, yeah. This is not the the first time that um, that sorry, it, this is the first time that they make this mistake, but it won't be the first time because in a later book in uh, the. Um, Transylvania Chronicles. They actually make uh, a, a a very similar uh, mistake in in uh, forgetting stuff about obfuscate. Uh, yeah, because yeah, they, they do. I I noticed that as well. And there are some uh, names that are misspelled as well. So there are a few editing uh, issues. Yeah, with this book. and and uh, also you you kind of wonder. I mean, the characters are supposed to be experienced, uh, even if you make them just like starting experience characters with an extra 15 um, freebie points, it wouldn't be impossible that someone decided, well, I'm just going to go all out on all specs uh, and have all specs four, and then yeah. they have a good chance of spotting him. So yeah. it's like, 
wait, wait, what? It's it's just once again, it's like you could do a, a smoother setup that doesn't require the characters to not be able to do anything. It it it's just there 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 should have there must have been a better way to. Uh, to get across what they wanted to get across without, you know, saying, oh, the characters can't see him. Well, what if they can? Oh, but they can. And he kills uh, this vampire in just one round. Well, he's going up against an experienced mad, yes, but experienced fighter who probably has a lot of fortune. Yes, but he still kills him in one round. It's just, yeah. it's it's well, too well, much he, fire. He does have protein too, so he has the, the uh, aggravated claw attacks. But but yeah, I, I get your point. Yeah, I, exactly. I agree with it. It's, uh, and then... Uh, there's yeah. this weird thing with with Five's cloak, where um, one of Bernardus' um, servants is nearby to pick it uh, up, and then Bernardus has it when the characters return to him. But there's no mention of what happens if they pick it up, because you know they might think it it's a clue or something. Uh, and then there's the weird thing with Bernardus offering Diableri on him as payment. I mean, if you're if if you've created a group of characters who are likely to be going after Infernalists, they're yeah. also quite likely to balk at the idea of Diableri. Yeah, I, I, I noticed this as well. And, and I, I think it's, again, it's, it's an interesting idea to, because I think the point is to show that uh, that Brother Bernardus is willing to, to literally sacrifice himself uh, for the safety of of Malkav, um, and and you could probably get some kind of of situation where um, if uh, if you have uh, player characters with high conscience who's like no 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 you don't have to do that we'll we'll help you anyways because we realize that it's the right thing to do uh, or something like that but but again it's it's kind of a weird. Um, boy this escalated quickly situation it's like from from first offering them uh, anything they want because he has stolen their secrets to uh, basically telling them that uh, basically blackmailing them with with the whole Tremere situation to now all of the sudden uh, offering his his lifeblood quite literally yeah his uh, soul yeah, and so yeah, even even worse or, or better, uh, but but yeah, it, it's it's kind of all over there, and and with a good storyteller, I'm convinced that you can make it work. But it's I, again, you kind of have to accept a lot of things to make this uh, scenario uh, flow as it's meant to. Yeah, uh, and then one last thing is that that there's a lot of information here that the characters really need in order to progress and to understand what's going on but it's it's framed as brother Bernatus only offering this information if asked and and in some cases asked rather specifically and it's just you're thinking how difficult do you want to make it for the players and their characters it it, it seems to have a, a hint of the whole players versus uh, game master idea rather than the communal storytelling idea that that um, that the storytelling system really uh, profiled itself on. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. It's just it. I think it could have been been done better. Um, so Act Three is all about finding the other vampire knights, um, which is what Brother Bernardus wants. And mm. I think this entire chapter is not only somewhat confusing and not well put together, but there's also a lot of unintuitive stuff here where you're just wondering, well, 
why would the characters do this? But what's your take on on sort of the the majority of this chapter? Well, I I kind of liked it for for what it is. I I do like the fact that it's um, it's uh, uh, basically sandboxing that you can. Uh, it, it doesn't follow a, a straight script, but rather like these sort of things, uh, or these are these sort of scenes that will uh, give your your players the clues that they're needed. But you can basically do them in any order you want to, and you can always throw in a few red herrings. Um, if I was running this uh, the scenario, I would probably kind of like let let my players brainstorm. Uh, first to see just what they wanted to do and uh, and and then either try to work in the things that they actually need to do in in what they want to do or perhaps let them run around and and have fun um, on their own uh, but then realizing that no what we're doing now is a red herring so we need to get back on track um, but but yeah it's again like you mentioned with the clues from uh, from Bernardo's, there's there's a lot of things that are kind of um, unintuitive, and and you you either need to really stumble upon the the right uh, dialogue option, so to speak. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, or have I, I wouldn't even necessarily say characters, but rather players who who knows what to do. Because one of the things I liked uh, is that uh, if they go to uh, to an apothecary. Uh, who is kind of like an alchemist as well? They can get some clues on um, on on where the mud on the uh, on Five's cloak comes from, which I think is like yeah okay yeah that's a, a cool and, idea. Apothecaryism uh, that's that's a thing. That's what people did, and and they would taste things and and do all kind of weird stuff to to figure out things, uh, and and of course. Uh, the the science of medicine in uh, in this part of the world was uh, a bit more advanced than than uh, uh, Europe, so so it's a it's an interesting way to to present that that character, um, who is by the way one of the people who has his uh, name misspelled in uh, <laughs> in a few places, but uh, but yeah, so so that's something that I found interesting, but it's because I know like me as a person as a player knows about medieval alchemy and and apothecary stuff uh i'm i'm not sure that my character would know about it no exactly course, it, it... you could you as a storyteller you could allow the players to roll for for clues basically like yeah you think that it might be a good idea to talk to an apothecary or something but again it's not very intuitive no it seems a bit like you know going csi uh, <laughs> um, CSI Jerusalem, um, which is it's it's a bit weird because like would players come uh, across the idea of doing something which seems rather modern, uh, and as mm. you mentioned, would characters know to take this to an alchemist and say, "Hey, can you tell us anything about this mud?" Because they might just think, "Well, it's mud." I mean, yeah, yeah it's 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 what's happened when it it's what happens when water gets wet. So. Um, the end game of the chapter involves the characters getting into contact with a person who goes by the name of Adonijah, and he's an immortal being who knew Malkav back in the day, so to speak, and who now tends a holy spring that bleeds when Malkav is distressed. I actually 
like him quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like having some unknown and magical factors is in my game. Uh, so this idea of of an immortal who's you know just an immortal, and you don't you don't really know why he's not a ghoul, he's not a vampire, he's not a mummy, he's just a person who doesn't seem to die. Um, this is interesting, but it's a bit annoying that he's presented as completely untouchable, simply no selling disciplines and disappearing if physically attacked. I feel that they could have handled this thing a bit better, um, you know, making sure that the pl- uh, players don't just kill him for whatever reason. I mean, why why would the, play- uh, the, the, the players or their characters just kill him? But I think they could have handled it a bit better with his being difficult to take down. Yeah, again, I think it's it's a great idea, uh, but the execution is not really that well done uh, because I totally agree that it's cool uh, to to have like this this immortal uh, character and and I like the fact that they they throw in a, a reference to the Wandering Jew and and yeah. you can ask him if if he is the Wandering Jew and he <laughs> will reply no but I know him uh, which, which is funny and. Uh, uh, but but yeah, I I agree that they, they could probably solve the the problem with him not dying or or no selling disciplines uh, a bit better. Um, as as an idea, as a concept, I, I really like him because he's he's basically a lot of exposition, and and I'm thinking that if um, especially if you're doing a whole campaign or a chronicle, uh, you you can use his. Uh, well, not not mad ramblings, but his stories because he, mm. he basically tells a lot of stories. You can use them as as uh, plot seeds and, and story points. And and if if you have uh, a character that you want to introduce uh, in a later game, you can always have uh, have Adonija just mention that. Oh, that reminds me of my old friend uh, Alexandros the Greek or, mm. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's a re- really interesting uh, idea and. I especially like the fact that um, that he's uh, he's a human. I, I was about to say mortal, but he, yeah. he's obviously not. But but he's a human, and he's friends with Malkav. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not like he's Malkav's lost child or anything like that. Or, or but he's he's just some guy who happened to be friends with the Malkavian antediluvian. Yeah, I, I I didn't think about that, but it's a really good point that you make that this guy could become a really cool asset. Um, during if for a longer running campaign, like as you as you said, he could he could uh, provide information or uh, clues, and you know he could also in uh, in situations where you don't want to provide clues, if the characters go to uh, to him and say, "Oh, we need some information about what happened during Christ's crucifixion," and he can say, "Well, sorry guys, I was." Uh, in Rome at the time, or I was in Greece at the time, so yeah, exactly. I don't know anything. I'm, I'm I'm immortal. I'm not omniscient. Yeah. So Adonijek gives the characters a massive info dump about what's happening. Uh, some people might think uh, this is a bit inelegant way of of handling getting the information to the players, but um, I don't mind the occasional info dump from time to time because. Um, you you have to make sure that the the characters and the players knows what's going on. Uh, so I I'm I'm okay with that. Um, but the idea is that apparently Malkav is connected to the vampire knights who diabolized his caretaker, and when one dies, this um, 
inflicts pain on Malkab, and so the earth shakes and the holy stream bleeds. And then he gives them some drops of Malkab's blood from the stream and a map of some of the ruins beneath Jerusalem, and then he sends them off to find and help the remaining knights and fix the whole problem of Malkav being unhappy. Um, so, so that that sets up uh, the rest of the of the scenario. Um, yeah. So, I think the the last part with the Doninjai here was was actually quite decent. This, uh, I, I think, it's a good way of, of setting things up, and I love the whole thing with now they have Malkav's blood. That that really ramps up the tension that they're walking yeah. around with antediluvian blood. Yeah, exactly, and and it's gonna be tempting for a lot of characters and and things like that. Uh, I, I just wanted to mention about the info dump uh, is that uh, a, a lot of the the, the info dumping uh, is I, I think it's a great opportunity for for role playing because it's it's basically you you just don't go there and and the Adonis just says that well you finally found me let me tell you the story but it's it's supposed to kind of be. Uh, that they they interact with him and talk to him and, and yeah. that's actually a thing that I I like with uh, this scenario is that uh, you do a, a lot of the people that uh, that the characters interact with can be rather friendly or at least helpful if if they are approached with respect or in some cases even curiosity and, and interest in in what uh, the the person is doing. But if if the characters, if the player characters act like assholes, then the person they talk to might betray them or might sell them out to someone or might just give them the wrong information just to get them to leave. Yeah. So so from that aspect, I, I don't necessarily think that the info dumps um, in, in this scenario uh, are done badly because it, it depends on how your characters act. So there will be consequences. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, uh, for your character's actions. Yeah. So Act 4 is pretty short and takes place beneath Jerusalem. It's not quite a dungeon crawl, but it's not far from it either. And not that I mind, because if done right and in the spirit of the game, you can do a dungeon crawl in Vampire. And I mean, there are ruins be- beneath Jerusalem, and and uh, rather than, you know, the, the relatively open structures that you often find in fantasy games... You, you can really make this cramped and unpleasant and dark and and more about uh, you know the, the the rising tension than just going from room to room. Um, now there are there's a couple of encounters, but the important one is with one of the mad canine knights who goes by the name of One. He is a tiny bit more sane and he can give the characters some information, and they can actually cure him if they give him a drop of Malkav's blood. It turns out that some of Malkav's soul or spirit got trapped in the five knights, and when they die, Malkav experiences the pain of death. It also turns out that the five knights got captured by some Bali, who are now torturing them to find Malkav's location. I think this chapter was quite well done, actually, though the use of the drops of Malkav's blood are perhaps a bit too obscure and unintuitive, but, but what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's that's the biggest problem. I agree that it, uh, the, the chapter or this section is, is well written. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just going to have to say it now so I don't have to do it. I, I mentioned before that I'm not a big fan of, of the Bali generally. But in this scenario, it actually works that that like if if you're going to have infernalists trying to do something bad, then Jerusalem is a very good setting for it. And, and it's kind of the same with uh, having a, a random immortal human being. Like, if, if you're going to have one of those, Jerusalem 
in in eleven ninety seven is is probably the best place to to put that kind of weird stuff. So so I, I agree with that, uh, or or that that's something I I enjoyed about this. Uh, but about the, the milk of blood and using it as a cure, yeah, it's it's also one of these kind of unintuitive things. Uh, I I would as a storyteller I would probably drop some some really uh, like proper hints on on that this is what they're supposed to be, do because otherwise they they can just unintentionally uh, basically fail the entire scenario because they they don't do the right thing with with the blood so um, so so yeah I, I like the idea that that they use Malcolm's blood to cure one uh, and I also like what they mentioned that if they feed him uh, a drop of the blood then uh, anyone with, with just aspects uh, one will see kind of like a, a spirit floating away from uh, from one kind of like yeah this house is clear and the spirits leave uh, yeah. and and they will feel at peace so that's that's a nice touch uh, but again getting your players to realize that that's what they're supposed to do um, is is kind of hard actually yeah uh, Act 5 sees the characters find their way to the Abbey of Mount Sion, and we have a, say it with me, boys and girls, monastery with vampires. Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, of course, we do. Uh, this yeah. is where the Bali lair, and we have a final confrontation with the Bali, and it is suitably, it is in suitably creepy circumstances, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a chance to save the last nights. Uh, following this is a page of conclusion and aftermath, tying up loose ends with various characters, chief among them Brother Bernardus. It also gives rules for the drops of Malkav's blood, which are insanely powerful. Yeah. And the characters were given five drops, so they'll have at least one left over. Yeah. I think the finale was handled pretty well, and I love the characters end up in possession with at least one drop of this insanely powerful blood, because I am a sucker for mystical items of uh, of power. So what's your take on the end of the scenario? Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's it's suitably creepy, because uh, the, the Bali Infernalists are using uh, bugs, uh, it, it, again, in a very clever way, because they, they're using bugs and insects and creepy crawlies to, to try to explore uh, the the tunnels of um, underneath Jerusalem to try to find Malcolm's resting place, uh, which which is a cool uh, way to do it. Uh, and and of course the the players can be attacked by these swarms of of insects as well, which is again creepy and and can be cinematic uh, and and all kinds of of cool and nasty. Um, like you mentioned as well, the the fact that um, that the uh, there are five drops, uh, but only four people that that actually need them. So uh, that can open up for a whole lot of interesting uh, shenanigans. Uh, from from a historical or rather a linguistical point of view, I'm I'm just going to have to mention that. Um, they uh, at at some point they they receive uh, basically a, a clue in in Latin uh, oh, yes. Arcadia Iagore Quiesco, uh, which mean and in Arcadia I rest or I sleep or I, I mm. uh, stop, uh, and the the sentence is is five words long because uh, it's one of each uh, one, one word for each of of the five uh, nights. 
Uh, unfortunately, the the ego is is kind of superfluous because in in Latin, as in in Spanish, uh, it's the same in in uh, Spanish. Uh, you uh, the the verbs describe who's doing it. So so I'm doing something uh, is is different from you're doing something. Uh, so, so you very seldom have the pronouns like ego or tu. It's it's only used if you really want to to emphasize that I'm the one doing it, which well, is kind of obvious. Yeah, well, uh, it, it does it does appear um, uh, sometimes. For example, in um, um, when you're doing um, what's it called in 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 the church. Um, when you're doing a confession and you're get, getting absolution afterwards, it yeah. starts with ego te absolvo. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so you have some situations where it's done, but but you're right. It it uh, in this case it might it might be superfluous, but it, it fits with the five nights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because absolvo means I absolve you. But, but exactly. yeah, as, as you said, and and I, I I'm not kind of wondering if, if that might be because it's it's a latter thing and and when latin uh, is a language that has been around for thousands of years and and like medieval church latin is very different from 18th century uh, scientific latin or or third century uh, roman latin for example oh, yeah. so so it might be a thing but but again it's it's just me needs speaking things because i mean i I've, I studied Latin for three years in high school, and I'm going to find a use for it. God damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, just just the way we pronounce Tremere is actually wrong, because uh, yeah, exactly. it, it, it so, should be, what, Tremere or something uh, like that? Tremere is probably the way that... Tremere, yeah, something yeah, something so, like that. So, yeah. But it's, it's yeah, Latin Latin is interesting. Um, yeah, but, but back on topic, yeah, I, I really yeah. do like the, uh, the the ending and, and the conclusions uh, and how they tie everything together because, uh, again, it leaves a lot of, of uh, not necessarily loose ends, but, but open doors if you want to continue your... Uh, your adventure in Jerusalem, uh, like you mentioned, they they have a very powerful uh, relic, uh, and I can see at least with with some people I I've played with, it could be a very interesting discussion on on uh, who will have to uh, or or who gets the final drop of uh, of blood if they want to uh, actually consume it themselves. Yeah, exactly. All right, so rating this book. There's little to no history. I mean, yes, Jerusalem was sacked in 1099 and the Christian crusaders did rampage through it. Um, so so I don't really have any comments on the historical aspect of it. No, m- me neither, except for the for the small little thing about uh, the Latin. Then, then, yeah, it's, it's a very self-contained uh, story. Yeah. As a scenario... Uh, well, it's better than Clash of Wills, that's for sure. Yeah. I really like the the background with Malkav sleeping beneath Jerusalem and the characters getting involved in the madness and dreams of an Antediluvian. I really don't like the setup with Brother Bernardus and the Tremere, and I, I think the investigation part could have been better set up. So would I run this? Would I play this? Well, I probably wouldn't enjoy this if run straight from the book, so to speak. I could see myself ripping out most of the intro and then finding another way to get the characters involved. And if I were to run it, I'd do it with newly created characters native to Jerusalem and make sure the Kateri was created in ways that uh, that complement the scenario. Mm, How yeah. about you? Uh, I'd, I'd probably be more interested in, in playing it as a player... Uh, with with a good storyteller that I know can 
kind of overcome the the problems that we've mentioned. Uh, I agree that it would probably be the most interesting to uh, to start with with new characters, or or perhaps that you've uh, run just just a very short uh, prologue, kind of how the characters get to Jerusalem and and how they know each other, uh, just just to to get your feet wet. But but yeah, I I agree that it's as is. It's it's kind of lacking. Yeah. Um, now. The next book that was published for the Dark Ages line was the Erces Fragments, a book in the vein of the Book of Nod. We've decided not to take a look at it simply because it's very much out of the scope of the, this podcast. If you really want us to take a look at it, then let us know and we might do it for a side quest. And that means that the next book is Libello Sanguinis 3, Wolves at the Door. Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, no, again, I, I just want to thank our listeners and the fact that uh, that that we have a Patreon is is kind of cool. So let's see where we can take that. And uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you all so much for uh, for listening. Uh, we we enjoy doing this, and we enjoy knowing that there are people out there who actually uh, like our our long ramblings on vampire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Right, well, then it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye.